I hate to follow an act like that. It's good to see so many familiar faces, and, and I welcome the new faces that have come to Calvary Chapel Lakeside. Um, I'm really, when we started thinking about this uh, conference, about uh, we were hearing about so many different people that were struggling in marriages, or should they get married, should they not get married, should they uh, stay married, and so we started forming this, and so I'm glad that that was on your heart too. I gotta wear glasses now. So, <clears throat> when I was young, I was an avid reader. I mean, I'm still an avid reader. I love books of all kinds of books. And when I was a child, I used to I'd clean out the whole library at school because I'd systematically gone through all the books. But after a while, when I was in junior high, I, I loved the romance novels. And, um, and then pretty soon I started thinking, well, I could write these, I could write romance novels. So I started writing the romance novels and where the boy meets girl and then they fall in love and they overcome obstacles and they live happily ever after. And, uh, and I grew up in the 60s when the Beach Boys came, made their debut. And everybody in my junior high class, well, all the girls, wanted to marry uh, a blonde-haired, blue-eyed surfer guy. But... Uh, I wasn't, I wasn't going to be like that. I wanted, I was going to marry a dark-haired, brown-eyed guy because I was going to be different. And besides, we didn't live anywhere near a beach, so that didn't work out. <laughs> so I wrote romance stories instead. But they all had only one chapter because I didn't know what came after Boy Meets Girl. I was in junior high. And like many fairy tales, I too thought all romances lived happily ever after. That's not true. We forget Cinderella and, and Prince Charming came from two different backgrounds. They each had family issues. I mean, we all know the stepmom and the two stepsisters. And then Prince had a mom and dad that just were so uh, regal that they had to go from history uh, financial differences. I mean, Cinderella was on her knees all the time scrubbing, and, and Prince wasn't. And we never are told if they ever had anything in common. And in most of the fairy tales, we never do see what happens after the wedding. And most of, uh, most of us think we know what we need to become happy or what will make us happy. We kind of plan out our futures. This is what's going to happen. We'll go to college or not, or we'll get a good job, our careers, and then we get married. And I was thinking when my mom and dad were dating, um, and they met in junior high, and in my mom's time frame when she was in high school, everybody was there, all the women's goals because I, I was looking up um, <clears throat> at her annual, her high school annual, and all the women, you know, when they say, what is your goals when you grow up, you know, I don't know how they do it now in the, in the yearbooks, but back then, they, all the women had, their dream was to get married right after high school. So a lot of them got married at 18 years old. And, uh, and their highest uh, dream, if they were going to have a career, was to be a secretary. That was it. And, I mean, that has changed a lot now. Uh, my granddaughter, her goal is to be a lawyer. She started thinking that when she was, like, in sixth grade, and she was going to go to Harvard, and she's still planning on doing that. 
who knows? But anyway, um, we, we think we know what we need to be happy and what we want God to do in our lives, our marriages, and what we especially want God to do in our husbands' lives and how we want God to change our husbands. But God oftentimes takes, uh, t- he takes us by surprise because his plans for our lives do not always coincide with what we plan for our life and what we dream for our life. And uh, so when I was thinking about this, I, I love John chapter 6. I mean, that's just like my go-to because it is so full of everything. Um, Jesus feeds the 5,000 in John, John 6. And, uh, and during that time, because I know everybody's heard the feeding of the 5,000, I wonder why we don't ever talk about the feeding of the 4,000, but we do the feeding of the 5,000. And they plan to make Jesus king by force. Uh, and they planned that because when he fed them, they were filled and they were satisfied. And they thought, well, here, here's somebody that could always feed us. He could always provide. He could, we're going to make him king. And, uh, and, but he didn't, Jesus didn't want anything to do with their plans. He had plans of his own and he, he had his own agenda. Uh, John six twenty five to 26 says they only sought him for their fill, for what Jesus could do for them. He was the bread provider. They saw what he could do for them, but not who he really was. Uh, that he was the bread of life, not just the provider of bread. They missed the, the point and that this was a sign that pointed to, uh, pointed to Jesus, but it wasn't the destination. It's like going on vacation and you, you're going all along the road, you see the, the marker signs. 100 miles to Graceland, 50 miles to Graceland, 10 miles to Graceland. Uh, Graceland, the mile markers are not the destination. They just point to the destination. You're not going to stop at the 10 miles to go marker and say that we're here, we're on vacation. So, and that's like uh, a miracle of us. It points to the spiritual reality of Jesus, the ultimate need and goal of our lives is for Jesus. So they missed the signs and, uh, and they weren't seeking Jesus for what, who, who he was, but what they could, he could provide for them. They weren't, um, in submission and hoping that he, they just hoped that he would give them what they felt they needed for a happy life and not for, excuse me, not for the love of him, but out of love for themselves. So I asked you, what is your dream and what are your plans for your relationship? Uh, if you're single and you've never been married, when you think about that, what, what is your, your ideal for getting married? What is your ideal for the person or who are you looking for? And if you're married, what are your dreams for that marriage? Uh, we all have expectations, but sometimes they're just not real expectations. Um, and so... When you, we're going to look at whose dream are we looking at, ours or the Lord's. Uh, in 2 Corinthians six fourteen to 16, it says, Do not be yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship does light have with darkness? What, ag- what agreement does Christ have with Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? And... Um, this is God's command. It's not a suggestion. He's not suggesting, it wouldn't be a good idea 
if you married somebody not of the faith. He's saying this is a command. This is the same as do not murder, do not steal, do not covet. This is a command. Uh, and it's followed by contrast, righteousness versus lawlessness, light and darkness, Christ and Belial, a believer and an unbeliever. They just, they just like oil and vinegar, they don't mix unless you're doing you know, a salad, but they just do not mix. And even when you're doing a salad, you have to shake them up pretty good to be able to get it uh, together. And so I don't know. When we get married and to an unbeliever, that's what's going to happen. You're going to get shook pretty good. So <clears throat> you might think, well, I do want to obey God. I want to follow what he says. But uh, what is he commanding me exactly? What is a yoke? And don't make any yokes about this. <laughs> what does it mean to be yoked together? So this verse literally means do not be paired with another kind or coupled with someone of a different sort. A yoke was a wooden frame holding a pair of oxen together, making a team. The frame forced the pair to pull equal, uh, equal share of the load. If one of them pulled uh, ahead, it would hinder uh, the other one dragging behind, causing pinching and choking and causing pain to the one who lagged behind. So the restriction of the yoke trained them to move in the same manner and in the same direction. So you get this visual that when, when God says, do not be unequally yoked, that if you are unequally yoked, you're going to be in this picture of, of uh, mismatched, uh, a mismatched team. It's like a three-legged race. You have the dad and the son. One is tall and long leg, and the other one is short and, and with, with smaller steps. And as they're running toward the finish line, dad out front, he drags the, the uh, fallen son or the stumbled son uh, towards the finish line. And what's the first thing they do? They hurry up to untie the binding to free themselves because this is not natural. And the same thing with being uh, unequally yoked. Uh, it's not a natural thing. Uh, in Deuteronomy 22.10, God says, Do not yoke an ox with a donkey. And, you know, when I first read that, I thought, well, that's kind of silly. Who would do that? But that's the same analogy here. When you think of two, there are two different kinds of animals, you know, uh, the oxen being bulky and heavier and shorter steps and the donkey uh, being taller, I mean, they're just, it, it just doesn't even make sense to yoke them together. And, and when they, if they would pull the same load, the same wagon, their, their steps are going to be totally mismatched, their, their stride is going to be totally different, and you're not going to get anywhere. So if a believer, a Christian, teams up with an unbelieving man, it hinders her walk, restricts her freedom, and causes an imbalance in the responsibility and burdens in the household. To which is added uh, spiritual attacks, uh, unnecessary compromise, sacrifices, and suffering. And, and you're going to have that in a normal marriage, in, a, in a, a marriage to a Christian with a Christian. You're going to have spiritual attacks. Uh, 
compromising, sacrificing, and that's expected. But this is unnecessary. Uh, it points at you. You have things where uh, two children are married, but uh, here you would be compromising and sacrificing for all the wrong reasons, for the wrong motives that God did not will for your life. You're just adding a burden to yourself. And then you add that the obligation of God versus your obligation to your husband. Uh, the difference is if your husband says one thing that is against what you have, uh, your obligation to the Lord, you have to choose. Uh, raising of your children, if he's not a believer and he doesn't really believe in uh, raising your children in the church or uh, or if he wants to say, uh, go to a baseball game every Sunday, and why do you need to go take the kids to church? I mean, it just causes that. Your whole lifestyle, uh, there's going to be constant compromising in the lifestyle. And then, then there's added guilt and blame. So more importantly, though, Christians have been uh, reborn and are spiritually alive, where unbelievers are not. And kind of visualize they're the walking dead because when you become a Christian, you you become reborn. And so you are connected to somebody that is dead spiritually. Uh, a person who has, received, who has not received Jesus as their Lord and Savior is, is spiritually dead. They're, um, their decisions that they make and their life that they have are not... Faith based on faith. They're not based on uh, answering to a higher uh, God because <laughs> um, oh, and by the way, I'm, I'm unequally yoked. I've been for uh, going on 48 years. But I didn't know I was unequally yoked for 48 years. But we'll get to that. But I, uh, my, my husband, I always tease him because he, he doesn't come to church. And, uh, and coming up now, we're on football season. And so from 9 o'clock in the morning until 9 o'clock at night, he watches the various football games. And so I, I tell him to have a good time at the church of football because that's, that's what occupies his, his time on Sundays. So it, it does make a difference where you spend your time and who you spend your time with. So God is holy, and uh, our holy God ca called us to be holy ourselves. We are to be holy because he is holy. We are in him, and like Sarah said, we are, we are in him and he is in us. Uh, but when we marry to somebody that is not in Christ... Uh, and we become one with that person. We're one with that person, and we're one with God, but he is not one with God. So it makes it very, uh, a very uh, awkward trio. To be holy is to be set apart for God and to set, be set apart to him. Uh, set apart from unrighteousness, set apart from darkness, set apart from partnership, uh, with an unbeliever. Now, in 2 Corinthians 6.14, we understand by this that God is not telling us we can't associate with unbelievers. Otherwise, we would have to leave this world and who would be left to evangelize. But we are not to partnership 
with unbelievers. So not be yoked, unyoked. And this, in that passage, it's also talking about not just marriage, but entering into a business partnership, entering into a partnership of any kind that is unequal. Now, we're not talking, again, about not, you know, just leaving the world and not associating with anybody that doesn't believe the way that we believe. It's talking about having a, a partnership like marriage where you are united, you have the same thoughts, the same goals, the same um, the same purpose. If you are united in a business uh, adventure with somebody that is totally an unbeliever and their scruples are totally different than what you have, it makes it for a very, very bad uh, partnership. And um, I, I think... If any uh, those had gone to the retreat that we had in January, I can't believe it was just January we had the retreat. Uh, and Dana spoke about uh, a friend that was in a manufacturing company, and uh, they manufactured and boxed a lot of products to be shipped out. And this one company, she saw the this uh, friend saw a billing come through, and she was a, she's a devout. Christian, and she saw this billing come through for uh, to box up pornography pro- products. And so she went to her boss, and she said, "This." She told her boss that this is not right. This is we shouldn't be doing this. God will not honor this company. And uh, and she told him in no uncertain terms. And he he went to. He said he'd get back to her on it. And he went to. Uh, the higher-ups of the company, and they had decided to ship this one through, but they weren't going to take any more business from the pornography company. But it could have gone the other way, too. She realized that being in this type of company where they boxing, they could get all kinds of things, and every time there was going to be a decision that she would have to make, do I stay with this company or do I leave this company? Because uh, she could not be on board for shipping or be a part of something that she that God would not approve of. So that's the same thing when you're uh, unequally yoked. In intermarriage, a be- uh, believer to an unbeliever pollutes the purity factor of the life of a believer and adulterates the divine. Uh, this is my thing. The Divine Institute of Marriage, which reflects, again, like Sarah said, Christ's relationship with his church. So being unequally yoked is is not a natural thing. And so because it's not natural, you're always going to be strained. You're going to be pushing against the goad, so to speak. You're going to be, there's going to be restrictions and there's going to be uh, problems. So now we know what being unequally yoked means. How did we get that way? So there's four ways to become unequally yoked. And this is, this is for people that are dating or thinking about dating also. So an unbeliever dates or marries an unbeliever. So they're both, uh, they, they both do not believe in the Lord and they are not unequally yoked. They, they both come from the same mindset. An unbeliever, uh, so there's no inequality here, but then she becomes a believer. And there's a lot of cases where right after they get married, 
sometimes within weeks, the wife becomes a believer, and they are now they're unequally yoked. Uh, and many times the wife uh, becomes a Christian within within days. Even um, one of our speakers coming up, her her uh, son and daughter-in-law. That was the case. That within a couple weeks after their marriage, she became a Christian. So the two uh, may even go to the same. They're, they're unbelievers, but they may go to the same church or the same type of church together, but neither are actually true followers of Christ. Uh, but they think that because they attend a church, they're okay, so they can get married because, after all, they go to a church. Uh, <clears throat> a believer marries or dates an unbeliever thinking that he is a believer. That's the second one. Uh, he may even he may even believe that he's a, a Christian, and that uh, and that God doesn't really. If he thinks about God, he do, God doesn't really pay much attention to his life or what he does. So God's sort of this far out there uh, entity that he doesn't affect his life at all, uh, and that God doesn't really notice what he does. But but if you said to him. Are you a Christian? Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. And a lot of times, uh, well, my mom said when she got married to my dad that she she would go to church. But she asked him, she said, uh, uh, do you believe in God? Oh, yeah, I believe in God. But my dad's an atheist, and he doesn't believe in God. And so, But he just said that because it was like, well, yeah, I believe in God. Because that way he could get married to my mom. So, So the second one again, is a believer, dates or marries, somebody thinking that he is a believer. And sometimes, like I said, he will deliberately confess to being a believer, even though he's not. And the third way is ignorance. A baby Christian received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, but has, uh, hasn't progressed or grown in her knowledge of God uh, or his word thinking she's accepted Jesus and that's all there is to it. So when she marries or, or dates somebody, she marries whoever she wants, and if they do get married in a church, and oftentimes nowadays in weddings, there's a lot of uh, destination weddings where everybody flies to Hawaii or Canada or some island, and they get married by uh, a local whatever. And... Uh, <clears throat> <laughs> they do. I mean, you've seen a lot of them. And, uh, you know, and God really doesn't play a part in that because it's more about the wedding and not about the marriage. And so um, so these people, they, they and, and also they can get married by people. Now you can get a, a, a license online to marry anybody or to bury them. So... And sometimes that might be one and the same thing. So uh, she may have gone to a church that never explained about God's command on marriage. There are many churches who quote a few scriptures Sunday morning and followed by a message that tends to make you feel good and go away happy because you're okay and you're not perfect, but you're okay. So you feel good about that. And then they don't pursue a, uh, a fuller, deeper understanding of God's word. So it's dangerous when uh, contemplating dating 
or marriage uh, without taking uh, premarital classes or coming or counseling with your pastor because um, after you get married and you you grow in your faith then you find out well I should have done this or I, sh- I shouldn't have done that or why didn't I do that nobody told me so it's important that if you're contemplating marriage that you be counseled by your pastor or uh, in the church or premarital classes it's a rude awakening to date and plan for a wedding set the date and find out that your pastor won't marry you because your fiance is not a believer and this is probably the case in many of your churches and I know it's the case in this church uh, that our pastor will not marry uh, an unbeliever to a believer the last way to be unequally yoked is flat-out disobedience you think, well, I'll win him over later. That loving him will make a, a difference. I will love him so much that, that he will become a believer afterwards. Uh, that God wants me to be happy. Uh, this doesn't apply to me. That unequally yoke doesn't apply to me. Uh, God will forgive me. When you say God will forgive me, I'm going to do this, but God's going to forgive me. You're presuming on, on God. Uh, God will change him later. But oftentimes, you're the one who ends up changing. You're the one that ends up compromising. You might quit going to church, quit fellowshipping with believers because it's just too much uh, arguments and too much hassle. Uh, But in the end, it's God's will, his command over your desire. You know what God's word is, and you don't care because you want what you want. So that's, that's the disobedience. You are a believer and you know what God commands it, but you love this man and he wants to marry you. So there's spiritual struggle. But in the end, what you want takes precedence over God's will. So speaking to single women, and even there's some widows uh, in here too, that um, if you're a widow and your husband has passed away and you, you know, you might feel lonely or you want to remarry or think about that you know you this applies to you it's like dating all over again you have to um, be careful of who you even date to contemplate marriage uh, because just because you've been married once doesn't mean that this all doesn't apply so be very careful who you date If you even think that he's not a believer, uh, even if he says he believes in God, you need to pursue uh, with pointed questions. You need to find out. You can't just assume or take it for granted. Okay, he said he's a believer. That's it. But if you think he's not a believer, stop seeing him. If If you've been dating a long time and then become a Christian, you need to explain the change to him. And if he's not not interested or doesn't want to find out more about what you believe in uh, or to pursue Christ, then you need to separate. And that's a hard thing. It's a very hard thing that you think, well, I've been dating him six months or I've been dating him two years. And to tell me you expect me to separate? Yes, it's hard. And, And yes, that's God's word. But knowing full out God's command and not obeying will reap more heartbreak and consequences than you will even imagine. 
It forces you to choose between him and Christ. Like Abraham and with Isaac, Abraham obeyed God, and the result, God blessed him. He obeyed God because he believed God. And so it's not just knowing, but do you believe God? Do you want that relationship with God uh, not to be hindered because you disobey? You know the truth, you know what God says, and you don't care. So I want to share a couple stories with you. I have two daughters. Uh, the uh, Amy and Danielle, you might have re- met them at the retreat. They're both Christian. Amy dated for five years, and then she broke up with her with her boyfriend because he wasn't a Christian, and she didn't see him that ever changing. And so they were broken up for six months, and but he was very patient, and he knew that she was going. She went to this church, and she and he knew that she broke up because of that. So he um, met with the pastor here, and they had like three sessions, a couple hour sessions each, and he had he was full of questions. But in the end, he received Jesus as his Lord and Savior, and, uh, and in the end, they got married. Uh, yes. And they'd been married 18 years. And then I have my, my second daughter, she was very picky. She didn't date very much. She uh, was very picky. People tried to set up. No, I don't want that. No, she was very picky. And, um, and then she met a guy online. And at 37, she got married. But prior to that, he was, he was not a Christian. And so um, I had many talks with her and saying, you know, you can't marry somebody that is not a follower of Jesus Christ. So she knew, I mean, and I, you can imagine, talked and talked and talked to her. But in the end, she married him. And uh, they've been married six years. And he goes to church with her, but he will tell you that he is not a believer. And they have many struggles. and, And he often rebels against the thought he just is digging his heels in uh, when it comes to believing in God. But he does go to church. And then I have a friend, Shirley. She was a longtime friend, and she, uh, when she was 27, and a relatively new Christian uh, going to Bible study fellowship classes, uh, she was dating a man for about six months, and they had a lot in common. They'd go hiking, they'd go biking, they'd go camping. They, they just had a lot in common. But the more that she uh, learned about God and his word, the more she was convicted about this relationship and where it was going. So she tried to invite him to church, talk to him about his beliefs and, and her beliefs, and to no avail. Uh, so one day uh, she, woke, uh, she broke up with him, and it broke her heart. Uh, she's 58 years old now and has never been married, nor has she dated anybody else. Uh, but she is head over heels in love with Jesus Christ, and he has blessed her with a full and wonderful life. And her niece had a baby, gave him up at a very young age, and so Shirley adopted and raised him, and so God blessed her with a child. So it's important, and it does make a difference, uh, if a parent or grandparent, uh, as a parent or grandparent, 
to pray for your children at a very young age. Uh, in Deuteronomy, it says, speak to your children when you get up in the morning and when you go to bed at night. And in between that, when you sit down, talk to them about all the things of the Lord that you learn. It is our obligation to pass on what we know to, our, to the next generation and to the generation after that. And, uh, and to friends, when, if you have friends that are struggling or friends that are contemplating any of this, it is your obligation as, as a Christ follower to share what you know with them. And then you don't know if that's going to make a difference. And sometimes it won't. But you don't want to stand before the Lord at the end times and, and say, and, and have him say, didn't I, didn't I send Bertha over to you and you didn't say anything to her? So you want to be able to um, pass this on to your, to your children and your grandchildren and nieces and nephews, whoever. And especially in this day and age, the things I hear about going on in high school is makes your hair curl. Uh, okay, so where do we go from here? We're unequally yoked. We, we got married not knowing any better. Or we're unequally yoked because we disobeyed God. Uh, in my case, my husband and I were both Catholics, and so we thought, and we did go to premarital classes with the, with the priest, and uh, we were equally yoked at the time, but after being married, uh, I became a Christian uh, in my faith. I had a relationship with Jesus Christ, which I really didn't have that relationship before, and so once I understood, and and of course, you know, when you're first born again, you think you are the only one that understands the Bible. You want to tell everybody, did you know this is what it says in this word? And, uh, and they, they put up with you, you know, yeah, yeah, I, I, I got that. I know already. But you, um, and I've shared this before, my friend, uh, when she first became a Christian, it was like, I'm going to have breakfast with Jesus, and, and I'm going to, uh, he's going to get me a job. So I'm going to have a job for Jesus, you know. And you have that excitement. And, and so uh, it's, it's just, um, but that's, that's what it was when I became born again after, after I got married. So we've been unequally yoked for, for all the years since then. Uh, a Christian wife a Christian wife might fantasize that if her husband were a Christian, things would be just about perfect. So no dirty socks. He'd bring in flowers. He'd do the laundry. He'd lead devotionals and Bible studies. And, uh, but in reality, finances, in-laws, children, sex, these are all issues that come up in all marriages. Uh, but oftentimes we blame the problems on the fact that he is unsaved. And our attitude towards him reflects that. Are you withholding your complete love to your husband because he's not a believer or until he becomes one? Are you walking around uh, with a chip on your shoulder because he's not going to church? Are you trying to force him into the kingdom by tears, anger, or the silent treatment? And I say that because I had done all those. <laughs> What if God said, your husband is never going to commit himself to me? Now, what are you going to do about your marriage? 
When are you going to start being the wife that I want you to be? In God's eyes, a Christian wife is a, is a uh, Christian wife regardless of her husband's beliefs or status. God wants the same from all Christian wives uh, to be a helpmate. Genesis 2.18. God calls us to, uh, to be helpmates to our husbands. Someone suitable, uh, strength, guide, undergirder, uh, vital and active role. So... Uh, to fill and complete his life, provide what is lacking, to assist and shield her husband. Being a helpmeet, a wife has a special ministry and contributes to his life in ways that no one else can. We are to imitate Christ in our role model. He's our helper, he's faithful, he's trustworthy. And 1 Peter 3, 1-4 says, Wives, in the same way, submit to your own husbands so that even if some disobey the Christian message, they may be won over without a word uh, by the way their wives live when they observe your pure, reverent lives. Your beauty should consist of, a, of the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very valuable in God's eyes. Many women and men focus only on the word submission to your own husband. But... It tells us in verse 1, in the same way, in the same way as Christ. So 1 Peter 2.21 says, you were called to this because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you should follow in his steps. So what example did he leave us? He left us a quiet and gentle spirit, not argumentative, not quarrelsome, uh, and... <laughs> That in itself, if you can get through a day without being argumentative or quarrelsome in any way, uh, that is one step you can work on uh, Just and pray for. Lord, just give me a quiet and gentle spirit today. Submit with all respect. And, and he humbled himself. And verse 22, it says, He did not commit sin, no, no deceit was found in his mouth. So do not be deceptive or lie, even those little white lies. Um, when reviled, he did not revile in return. I mean, is that, is that hard in itself? That is such a hard thing when somebody falsely accuses you or criticizes or reviles you in any way to keep your mouth quiet and not to do likewise. Uh, when suffering, he did not threaten, but committed himself to the one who judges justly. Added to this, when you do good and suffer, if you endure, it brings favor uh, with God. So that, by, <clears throat> so that they may be won over without a word. That also includes our body language. Even without words, our body language can give away our feelings. Uh, okay, now how many of you roll your eyes? Because <laughs> I, I want to know. When somebody says something, you just roll your eyes. Or you huff, or you puff. So those are all parts of body languages that, you know, you can, they can tell if it's sincere, if it's true. So be genuine in your heart attitude. It shows. So don't communicate verbally spiritual truths. 
He is incapable of understanding without the Holy Spirit. So nagging, uh, lecturing, or explaining will not bring a person to the Lord. It is important to understand this, not just with the mind, but with your heart. Regeneration is the work of the Holy Spirit, not you. This idea took me a while to comprehend. I thought I had to invite my husband to church every Sunday, put on Christian movies, and beg him to watch them with me. Uh, but then I'd feel hurt because he, would, he wouldn't go, or he'd get mad because I would just bug him a lot. So when I understood my role was to love him and show him respect, uplift him, and be a true helpmeet, I let it go, and I was freed up to do those things, to be a helper and to love him. Uh, we are called to be submissive to our Lord, and God would use our obedience for good. A wife needs to be silent, change her behavior, and as God transforms her into the image of Christ, her husband will see what God is like, and her action and attitude of faith will convince him of the validity of her Christian walk. We be respectful to him, honoring his position as her husband, even if he is not an honorable person. God has given us this husband, and even if he isn't an honorable person, we are to honor, honor that position as husband. Don't exhibit spiritual pride. Watch over your speech, uh, how you speak to him, even in, even in prayer. How you speak about your husband, even in prayer, uh, we need to be honoring and um, don't treat him as a second-hand citizen because he's uh, spiritually inferior or secretly mocking his ideas or responses. But we do need to have that quiet and gentle spirit, emulating the fruits of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control, Galatians 5.22. And I'd add one more. Forgiveness is, is huge within, within this be a friend and be a companion, a helper, and a good listener is important. And fun, a sense of humor goes a long way in a marriage. Uh, prayer, for God to bless him, not just to change him. Not just that, that prayer, Lord, make him a believer, change his heart. But pray also that things like, uh, may his meeting go well today at work. Can you provide safety on the way where he's going May he find something in his job that excites him today. Pray for the practical things in his life. Uh, you invest yourself with all those details and not just uh, uh, praying that he will be saved. Uh, are there ways that you need to change? Ask God to reveal areas where you are not following in Christ's footsteps. Are you standing on your rights? Philippians 2, 2 to 19 are great verses to see what Jesus did with his rights. Uh, so 1 Corinthians 7, Paul gives great instructions on marriage, and Sarah covered part of that. Uh, and people then in, in uh, Paul's time and even way back in Moses' time, they posed many questions regarding the institution of marriage. And it's still going on today. We still have multitude of questions. Yes, but what about this? What about my situation here? What about this? And so Paul's trying to answer some of those questions. Uh, the Corinthian church came uh, from a very promiscuous background. For married believers, they asked questions such as, 
Can a wife leave her husband? A husband divorce his wife? Should we abstain from sexual relationships now that we're Christians? Uh, for single Christians, should we get married or, or should we wait or should we uh, never get married? Uh, God's view uh, on all marriages is no divorce. A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives. That doesn't mean that you can kill him. And if, her, and if she does leave him, she must remain unmarried or be reconciled to him. Uh, and then Matthew uh, 22 talks about the only reason to leave or you can be permitted to divorce is from unfaithfulness. So if she's married to an unbeliever and he wants to continue in the marriage, she must not leave him. Because the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the Christian wife. This doesn't mean that her presence makes him holy or saved, but that her influence in the household gives him an opportunity uh, that he would not have otherwise. So, some of you might see yourself as a victim in your marriage, and then you look for loopholes in, the, in Scripture. Uh, and, and I have to tell you, I, there was a time that I, I scoured scripture to find those loopholes to see, is there a way I can get out of this? But uh, I didn't find it in, in the Bible. So I'm still married. <laughs> and I'm grateful that I'm still married. Uh, you might be lonely or even, even in your marriage you might be lonely. And if you're single or widowed, you might want companionship. It's not, it, you might think it's hard to go places when there's mostly couples there. Uh, you're young and think, what if I never get married? Or what if I never find the perfect guy? You've been divorced a few times, so is that it? Am I really expected to live like this forever? 1 Corinthians 7.28 says, Paul tells us that married life is not easy and can have, be stressful to say the least. And he wanted to spare us from that. So what is your dream for your marriage? Are you coming to Jesus complaining because you're trying to hold on to your dream and Jesus will help you get it? What happens if you don't get it? If your situation doesn't change or if it gets worse, will you give up, lose faith, uh, get even? Or if what you desire falls apart, will you stop reading the Bible, praying, or fellowshipping? If you said yes to any of these, then you, like the people of John 6, are only living for earthly bread. Jesus told the people of John 6, I am the bread of life. Unless you eat my bread and drink my blood, you will not enter heaven. He wasn't just talking about communion, but that they would have to partake in his life and death, enter into his covenant, his flesh and blood, his sacrifice. Their response, many left, and and some said, this is hard teaching. And it is, isn't it? What God commands can be hard when we wrestle with God. James 4.2 says, you desire and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight war. You, you do not have because you do not ask. And you ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives. So that you spend it on your desires for pleasure. If you know to do good and don't do it, James 4.17 says it's a sin. A woman yoked with an unbelie uh, unbeliever, we have a great opportunity to be the light of Christ, not only for, to our husbands, but to uh, 
others as well. If you are single while you wait upon the Lord to introduce you to the right man, if it is his will for your life, you also have a great opportunity to demonstrate joy of the Lord no matter the circumstances. The book of uh, Habakkuk is a great example. Habakkuk wanted a revival for wicked Israel. He complained about the wickedness and didn't God see what was going on. God brought really wicked Babylon against them and Habakkuk was confused and struggled to understand God's ways. After all, God is eternal, holy, and cannot look upon evil or tolerate wrong. Why then is he silent while the wicked abound? Habakkuk determined to stand and watch and look expectantly to wait for God's answer. God says, this is for an appointed time. Even though the answer and outcome lingers, wait for it. The righteous will live by faith. Habakkuk's hope is uh, revealed as he reviews God's past deeds and mercy and grace. He, his awesome deeds encourage us to trust him and his word when we are full of questions and are confused by God's response to our prayers. What Habakkuk learned was if everything failed and no crops, no produce, livestock, everything died, hope against hope, he will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in my God's my Savior, for God, the Sovereign Lord, is my strength. Romans twelve fifteen says, We who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. We in the body of Christ must be more sensitive to the struggles of one another, while those who are single, dating, unequally yoked, and even those marriages where both are Christians, uh, we are, we are part of one body. Are you setting your eyes and hearts on Christ regardless of your circumstances, using every opportunity to demonstrate Christ's love to an unbeliever so that God is glorified in your actions and faith? We trust God with our eternal life. Will we not trust God with our marriages, which are temporal in the Lord? Uh, I'm going to pray now and excuse you for lunch. As you leave, uh, the bathrooms are to the right. And you go to the right, and the left door is the entrance to the lunch hall. So will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for uh, that you are the bread of life and that we are going to partake in lunch now, Lord. I thank you for how you speak to each one of us. And I pray that you would cause us to review our situation in light of your word. And I thank you for giving us that. In Jesus' name, amen. You're excused.